Hi, everybody. This is Joanne Manister, Science Goddess with Read Science, and my co-host, Jeff Schomeyer, is joining me. I'm sitting in Illinois, and Jeff is near Washington, D.C., and uh, our guest today is Liz Heineke, who is in Minnesota. I love the internet. And uh, <laughs> Liz is a returning guest. She has been on before because Liz has written so many books, and it's amazing. And so Liz is the author of many, many books, including this one today. We will look at primarily biology for kids. Happy to have this book as a biologist. And then we'll bring Jeff, our physicist, along to, to yeah. I get to play Dr. Watson today. It's like, I, I'm sorry, can you explain that biology to me? <laughs> I think this book is great yes. <laughs> for this. So um, I'm going to go ahead and read your bio in the back of the book, which I thought was actually Sounds fun. Good. Liz Heineke has loved science since she was old enough to inspect her first butterfly. After working in molecular biology research for 10 years and getting her master's degree, Liz left the lab to kick off a new chapter in her life as a stay-at-home mom. She soon found herself sharing her love of science with her three kids as they grew, journaling their science adventures on her online educational platform, kitchenpantryscientist.com. Uh, her desire to spread her enthusiasm for science to others soon led to regular TV appearances, speaking engagements, and her books, Kitchen Science Lab for Kids, Outdoor Science Lab for Kids, Dean Labs for Kids. Oh, I have this one. Start. I have most of your books, Liz, by the way, but this one, I could, <laughs> I could find this one. Uh, Star Wars Maker Lab. This was cool that you did this with DK. Um, yeah. Kitchen Science Lab for Kids, Edible Edition, The Kitchen Pantry Scientist, Chemistry for Kids, and Radiant, The Dancer, The Scientist, and A Friendship Forged in Light, an adult nonfiction narrative about Marie Curie and Louis Fuller. And this was uh, a diversion from your other books, but very good. I enjoyed it. So, but we see you are set up with all your experiments. And along the way, we can. I have some questions because you've done this a long time. And like, <laughs> what have you learned? <laughs> you know, you're probably like really good at this now. So, Jeff, yeah. but I'll let you. Oh, Liz, okay. you can say hi to everybody. <laughs> yep. Welcome, yeah, welcome back, Liz. Yeah, it is nice to see you again. After it's been quite a while now since your your I think your first book for kids, Kitchen Science for Kids, and we we had a little chat at the, the kitchen table. Uh, that was a lot and, of fun. And a guest, you had one of your kids with you. Yes, yes, and as the physical scientist, I did learn a lot of things from this book, and I'm very happy to have done. And I have some sometimes. My questions to begin get a little out of hand. So I have a very easy question because I think this is where I'd like to start talking about this book, which is out of the ordinary for the for the sorts of things we usually talk about, but a very, very nice book and one that kids can enjoy. So this little set of questions, I want to emphasize the subtitle of the book, which is Science Experiments and Activities Inspired by Awesome Biologists Past and Present. And now I want to have a clear idea of the book as we talk about it. So would you just give us your, your you know, marketing overview of what age kids the book is for, the activities it's aimed at, and also about the, um, about the very handy and, and unique format of the presentation? Yeah, so I think the target age, you know, according to the publisher, is sort of 7 to 12, but I always tell people there's a lot of wiggle room on, on both sides. I've actually had a lot of adults tell me that they really enjoyed reading the um, biographies of the scientists in this book. Yes. But I, I put it together. I've always loved, um, even when I first started writing books, I really enjoyed sort of researching the people who came up with the concepts I was talking about and who um, experimented with them and wrote about them. And um, I think that, I think that storytelling is, one of the best ways you can teach science. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, hearing a story of how someone discovered something or, or reading a story of what someone worked on and then actually taking that those concepts and finding a way to let kids um, try a hands-on um, project related to that work, whether it's something 
you know, whether it's an actual science experiment, yes, like, like um, making um, auger plates and growing microbes, or whether it's a project like some I'll show you today that just help kids, um, you know, a lot of biology is really hard to, if you don't have a microscope and expensive equipment, it's really hard to explore it. So mm -hmm. I really look for ways in this particular book that kids could safely explore the concepts. You know, I have a, a balloon with cornstarch um, goo in it that serves as a model <laughs> of a macrophage so kids can explore <laughs> phagocytosis. Because, you know, it would be great if you could say, hey, just get out your microscope, um, grab some white blood cells, um, and let's <laughs> let's play with this. But but kids can't do that. Um, yeah. We don't so, want bleeding every, anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I had a lot of fun, actually, you know, it's fun to look at historical experiments and try to sort of reproduce them. So I had fun trying to come up with some um, for this book. And I'll, I'll show you a, a couple mm -hmm. of those. But I really wanted to integrate the story of scientists um, with hands-on projects to make science more memorable and more interesting and more inspiring for kids. Because I was mm -hmm. able to feature a lot of, you know, a lot of scientists that, that a lot of people don't know about who are yeah. really important scientists mm -hmm. who were overlooked you know, because of racism or because of gender, um, for whatever reason, they've been sort of overlooked. So I wanted to sort of highlight some of those science yes. Um, yes. role models for kids. You've got a fascinating collection of people in here. And uh, I think I agree with you very much. I don't like to think of science as uh, a history of personalities and discoveries, but science is done by people and hearing the people's stories are certainly are certainly a part of that. And there's some very interesting people in here. And since you, you mentioned the diversity uh, of the science and over the, the time scale of what, uh, more than a hundred years, I thought that was a very admirable thing about this book. And also I want to commend the illustrations oh of Kelly Ann Dalton. Um, yes. Particularly, I, particularly- What a the, team effort. This yeah, book. could you, Joanne, if you can find lab 20 lab what did i write down the number anyway um, here it is lab 14. i will get it for you find ah. the picture of lab 14 the big yeah there she is okay i want to talk about sorry. her as as an example she was one of my favorite examples oh sorry but, but first the camera the, on this uh platform is yeah opposite. first first about the <laughs> illustrations yeah. I think it's there worth making a positive comment that you have worked hard and found lots of interesting people with lots of diversity and background in gender and ethnicity and all sorts of things. And I loved the illustrations and not least because it showed us that diversity without having to make it something that had to be discussed uh, in the text or something, not as an avoidance, but just as a a built-in part of, of everything that's happening. I, that was really brilliant. And and the illustrations are lovely. She she did a really beautiful job with all the little symbols and things. So it becomes almost a, uh, what, uh, I don't know what the game with kids is, but, you know, looking for things in the pictures, mm -hmm. the little symbols and the little things going on, to see how they associate with the person's biography are really terrific. And one of the ones that I really remember is this Lab 14, which was inspired by Susan LaFleche-Picot, who is uh, from the Omaha tribe in Nebraska, born in 1865. And you gave us uh, her biography where she, she became interested in, in uh, public health and also a, ha developed a keen interest in houseflies as a likely vector for diseases in domestic settings and introduced the idea of using screen doors to keep houseflies out of the house. And I loved the activity you suggested there where kids make flies from clay and Q-tip legs, and it involves an ink pad. I wonder if we could use that as a model to describe how how one of these labs is presented, if you'd yeah, go over so that for me. I don't have that particular project with me, but I love that project because I try to find things that kids can really relate to. And every mm -hmm. kid has seen houseflies, right? Yeah. And I think it's really fascinating. I mean, putting screen doors in houses is similar to hand washing. It's a, it's a very mm -hmm. inexpensive thing you can do to make a big difference in, um, to, to re prevent the spread of some diseases. So um, in this project, kids build 
I mean, I have some Play-Doh here. I don't have any Q-tips, but I can demonstrate it. They build um, house flies out of Play-Doh. There, we'll put a head. You know, it should have six legs. It has two legs. Little, yep. like, recycled plastic. <laughs> well, they've, they've researched online to see what house flies look like at this point. Yes. Yep. Yes. They, they recreate a house fly with, um, with cotton swab feet. And then they draw some, um, on one piece of paper, they draw some food. For example, mm -hmm. um, and another piece of paper on the same piece of paper, they um, or they don't they don't even have to draw it. They can take like some paint or ink, which represents um, something like rotten food or feces, something that has, you know, bacteria in it, microbes in it that can cause disease. Yeah. Then they 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 put their the feet of their fly um, in the paint <laughs> and then they buzz their fly around and it lands <laughs> on the food they drew but it's a really great way for kids to see how um how flies can carry disease and it, it was fun to write about i try to when i can add some little you know gross details like flies yeah. um yes. yeah about how their, their mouth parts and how they're always licking their feet and then and they're, they're they they digest a lot of things by actually vomiting on it and then yeah. um, to dissolve it so that was because, a really fun project where I could talk about an, a, an interesting, yeah. important scientist um, and then have um, a project kids could do to really explore how houseflies spread disease by by yeah. microbes around from one thing to another. They Kids love the gross details. <laughs> they do. I was thinking about sort of stereotypes of, of kids from when I was a kid, even if like everybody had a science fair, everyone built a diorama with dinosaurs or or, you know, whether Coke dissolves nails and things like that. And they all seem, later on, they're almost embarrassing sometimes because they uh, they seem simple and simplistic. And it's like, it would be very easy to look and say, really, a clay fly with Q-tips and you dip it in the, But these provide memorable examples that you can hang yeah, real information on later. I actually saw an early review. I think it was from a, a librarian, maybe, that simple they're not really, you know, science experiments, but yeah. I actually think that, that some of these, they're not, you know, everyone wants science to be fizzing and exploding all the time. And I do have a lot of projects. I try to find projects that are super engaging, but mm -hmm. often it's, you know, it's simple illustrations, like saying, this is how, you know, this is what a coronavirus particle looks like. I just made it out of Play-Doh with little Play-Doh spikes. And this is how a white blood cell might engulf a coronavirus particle. I talk about the scientist that yeah. um, Ellie Mechnikoff that discovered phagocytosis. Mm -hmm. How a macrophage Yes, I think I lost my video. And then uh, you're and coming then I back. Talk about how they can spit them out and represent them. Yeah. Um and and I also um talk about um antibodies. And then kids can build like building little simple clay models can be really interesting. Um, I can talk about how June Almeida, who discovered coronaviruses, I talk about the scientists and coronaviruses, um, how she used molecules called antibodies, Y-shaped molecules. Kids can antibodies are complicated, but kids can learn their Y-shaped molecules that can attach onto foreign invaders and make them clump together. So that the immune system can recognize them, you know, for example, if you're vaccinated, but also so that they yeah. can be more easily recognized by white blood cells. So <laughs> it's a great way to sort of um, help kids integrate a lot of concepts and get their hands onto them because, and then if they're interested, they can go online and look at amazing videos of, you know, macrophages gobbling up bacteria or whatever they mm -hmm. want to. Mm -hmm. The... Uh and all, all the aspects of, I mean, you call them activities, experiments and activities, and activities is a way for kids to to make these associations, build these images, put things together, uh, and working, doing things with your hands is an important part of that too, right? Right, and, and there is an issue with biology because it's usually not today. We are gonna do this in one hour. You need a <laughs> days, weeks, months, years. With you know, you can't you just observe a bear <laughs> today, yeah. you know, yes. you need, you need a lot more time to really but understand how bears grow and eat. And yeah. And I do have activities. For example, um, I talked about Ray Wynn, uh, Ray Wynn Grant, who is a mm -hmm. wildlife biologist and she studies carnivores, which is 
awesome. You know, that's super inspiring for kids. Yeah, Joanne, maybe you can show the picture. I have it. In I've here. got it. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, here we go. But Here's for me. Her, I talked about uh, the activities for kids to actually, you know, observe animals and mm -hmm. activities. But also, there's a simple activity you can you can do that I think I learned from one of the citizen science projects, where you just put some cookie crumbs in a plastic bag and leave it out on your sidewalk, and you can see, you know, how many ants come, what kind of ants come. So, um, you have to find simple versions of that, you know, often very exciting science that that um, adults are doing. But um, it's a way, you know, watching a squirrel in your backyard is the starting point for watching, mm -hmm. observing a grizzly in the wild someday or right. tracking it with, you know, a, a radio collar when you're an adult, possibly. And you it's it's really about sort of sparking kids interest. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, yes. At, at the hands on experience. And we can attest that actual real scientists build models. Mm -hmm. They're not often out of clay and sticks, but they could be. It could be. Sometimes Legos, more I've seen everything. <laughs> and most of the scientists I know usually, especially the theorists who say, well, this is how, uh, here's a model I've made for uh, how fluids worked. Used to be yep. something in particular. And that would usually refer to it as a toy. Uh, so so yeah. I, having the aspect of play is important because that's how the scientists would build a model that's not quite right, but maybe has a few characteristics. They think of it as a toy, as something that you play with and you get insights from doing that because you put things together. Yeah, and and it, you know, and it's also, you can incorporate some fun into it. So for example, these, these balloon white blood cells, you know, macrophages that I made. Yeah. I have kids in the book, I have kids mix, you know, two parts cornstarch with one part water, and they make this non-Newtonian um, yes. fluid, which all kids love to play with. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's biology. It's a, it's a plant starch. It's chemistry. It's, it's, it's physics. Um, so <laughs> I don't, ex this is in a lot of my books, but, and I don't explicitly talk about, you know, the science of cornstarch goo in this book, but um, it engages kids to want to try the project, and then maybe they'll learn something about white blood cells. So so you try to make it fun and educational at the same time, because I think I'm still like a nine-year-old kid at heart. I try, I do try to make all my projects, you know, fun as well as educational. Well, you know, well, I do want to ask about <coughs> educational. Um, so I thought, why wow, you've, you've published so many books so far. Do you ever have a teacher say, hey, I, we're using this in school. We're using this in our classroom or a library or science museum saying, yeah, we have a camp and we're going through your book. I do. It's great. And I have lots of, um, you know, I know people who run summer camps. I know kids who run their own camps. And I, what I often do is they'll ask me to do it and I'll say, I, you know, I can't do it because I'm really busy, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. Mm -hmm. And uh, because lots of the projects can be scaled up really easily, you know, that the red, the red cabbage juice that you can put mm -hmm. in little cups mm -hmm. Add vinegar to one, it's an acid-base indicator, you know, it turns bright pink. Yes. Add um, baking soda to one, it turns green. Combine them, it, uh, there's a chemical reaction that makes carbon dioxide, it bubbles over. But that is one that kids love. It's easy to do with big groups of kids. I, I try to keep my stuff not expensive for the most part so that all kids can do it and that teachers can do it in school because they all have limited funds too. I had a conversation years ago with a colleague about things that, are good for uh, bringing science to very young children. And I want, I want to see what you agree, because I think you do hear that we might be on the same page, that so, uh, some people will tell us like, well, you, you, these are unfinished stories. You haven't explained everything clearly. And we felt then that something like um, jigsaw puzzles that just use the names of chemical elements without further explanation gets these vocabulary things out, the names are funny and fun to say, and they become raw material for later more learning. And so the layer, the learning comes in layers and not as single episodes that cover everything. And you've got all these, these activities, the fly with, you know, landing on the poo, that's going to give something for kids to hang on to. Um, I think that sounds like sound pedagogy. I guess you do too, Joanne. I guess yeah. you do too. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have, you know, my kids are all grown, but yeah, I have four kids who would have loved all of this. I think I think that's true. When I 
when you said that, it sparked a memory. Like, I think when I was really young, I read A Wrinkle in Time. And I became obsessed with the word mitochondria. And I yes. had no idea what it meant. But it made me interested in, you know, whatever science. I just thought, oh, science is cool. Mitochondria. I think kids do love words. And I think that's a yeah. really good point. They're funny yeah. and, and cool. And once you know them, then <clears throat> it's a connection ready to plug into something. Well, yeah, when I do science outreach, I always, I always use the scientific names for chemicals and have good. kids repeat them after me. And they, they love it. You know, I, if it's a really long word, I'll break it up into syllables and, um, you know, sing song yeah. back and forth. But kids, kids do. They really respond to that. Yeah, I, I noticed that in the book. And in a way, that would be, hello, parents, here's a quick message. There are these words and they're left unexplained. Don't worry about it right now. Uh, it's it's part of the fun and it it lays the little the little uh, Easter eggs for the kids to uh, enjoy later, uh, and they're fun to pronounce or to try to pronounce. Totally. <laughs> well, that's one thing in biology you might remember yeah. studying is uh, vocabulary is a big part of it, and some people get overwhelmed yep. in biology studies because they're like, there's just so many words, there's so many you know, new words, but I think if you're introducing it when they're young, you know, yeah, and it's, it's really helpful. Um, might take away some of that overwhelm when they get older in, in a biology class. You know, I say that all the time. I am. Um, and I, I tell parents this, I tell kids this, I say, yeah, I mean, the idea is to get kids when, when kids do science at home, it becomes interesting, it becomes exciting. And then when they do have science classes when they get older, it's not as intimidating. And I think that's really- mm -hmm. And it, it helps with the overwhelming part too, because <coughs> my uh, when I would talk to people about reading science books, particularly textbooks, if I were talking to a student, their biggest anxiety seemed to be this, like, I read this chapter and I didn't understand everything. It's like, Science books are not meant for fiction style reading. <laughs> you approach them differently and it's okay if you don't understand everything the first time. Sometimes you accumulate the pieces and it can be a while before they all come together. And so you just need to relax some. And so if you have a past with activities like this that can help get you past the anxieties of not understanding everything immediately, uh, that's, that's a great burden in the avoiding the overwhelming feeling, Joanne, I think. Right, right. And uh, actually, it's interesting. So I think back to your kitchen science uh, experiment book, and I believe that's why you were on in the first place. But and then it was the steam and then chemistry. And now we're finally at biology. So <laughs> we it, it is interesting because of the nature of biology, how Maybe it took you a while to get, how can I do a biology book? <laughs> yeah, it is It is somewhat intimidating. But then when I started doing it, I realized um, that, that you don't, like I said, you don't have to actually have a microscope or do mm. the actual experiment. You can really explore the world of biology in other ways. I mean, I love, one of my favorite scientists in the world who I know Joanne also knows is Danielle Lee. Danielle Lee. She's so wonderful. <laughs> we know her personally. Yeah, oh, how cool. You and got there she it. is. There's beautiful she is. illustration. She is one of the <clears throat> nicest, smartest people you've ever met. She's an amazing educator too. And right. I actually talked to her about, you know, what project do you think would be um, good to pair up with you? And she immediately said, I want my favorite project for kids is to have them look for four leaf clovers. And I mm -hmm. talk about this in the book more extensively, but I love it. She talks about getting interested in science as a kid, partly because of um, looking for four leaf clovers and pattern recognition. And she yeah. talks about the importance of pattern recognition in um, science and, you know, whether it's physics, whether you're looking out at the stars or and looking for similarities and differences, or whether you're looking at a patch of clovers or, you know, a mono layer of cells, a scientist's job is to notice things that are different, mm -hmm. right? It's yes. Great point. Interesting in some it's way. universal. <clears throat> so some people might say, oh, that's, you know, that's a simple experiment. But the more I talked to her, the more I realized how it is a perfect experiment for this book, even though she studies pouched rats. Um, this, it, this is a very sort of experiment that all kids should do just to sort of open their eyes and to help them understand sort of what scientists do um, 
and all kids love to look for four leaf clovers. So I think it's a perfect experiment, actually. Actually, one I liked, <clears throat> which I went, well, darn, I didn't learn this till university, was the gene expression <laughs> with Legos and Jacob Renault. And, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> Legos. And boy, I wish I had that back when I was trying to get the lack operon in my head. <laughs> I know, I had a couple of biologists say, that's really great. You know, you have kids doing gene expression, but um, I'm a really visual person. And what always helped me the most, you know, reading science textbooks was looking at the illustrations. And I think, yeah. um, and I think that's partly because the illustrations simplify concepts without the vocabulary. So then you can go back and sort of mm -hmm. learn the vocabulary. But um, the idea that, um, I, I think there are a lot of, you could do a lot of uh, molecular biology gene expression, cool stuff with Legos. <laughs> I and think I think so. it would help, you know, even college students understand it better and more quickly. These days I'm, I'm working in, uh in disability support uh, at the university. And uh, the the concept, the idea, the, the thing that we remember that swirls around a lot is that different people have different ways that they take in information better. And the more of those channels you can stimulate, the better. So yes, reading the textbook, but having the pictures tells you things in a different way. It's not uh, an old-fashioned view would be, well, it simplifies something or no, the, the the way we look at it now is that it uses a visual channel and then you have the kids building these flies or looking for clovers. There's the activity involved. That's another channel. There's the touching and the manual activity. That's another channel. And, you know, I'm glad we have a chance to, to explain this to people who might say, well, but what's the point of this book? Why do you build clay flies with cotton swab legs and, and <laughs> look for four leaf clovers. And, and it's because the, all of those things are foundational inputs for understanding, uh, for feeling, for feeling and experience how you go about doing science. Looking for a four leaf clover is, is an activity. And it, it, it does have, as you say, many uh, that was a brilliant suggestion on her part that it has many yeah. things in common with I, the uh, way scientists go about doing yeah, science. There are layers of understanding. And I... Oh, sorry. Oops. Did we have a video glitch here? Little glitch, sorry. <laughs> That's okay. You know, um, Ramoni Cajal, he's one of my favorites. And, um, you know, and of course, he's known for his beautiful drawings. Oh, they're and gorgeous. I was, and I was like, this is so great that this is in here because, you know, every really good biologist who's more of a naturalist is a good either photographer or artist, you know, because we make observations and we need to record that. And I think that's important to have here too, like so pattern recognition, but also we need to record those observations in some way. And who, who else was it? She did the butterfly life cycle, right? Caterpillar, mm -hmm. butterfly. Oh, She's yeah. early on in the book. Yes. Same uh, thing. Maria Sibella Marianne. Yeah, That's there. right. Right. Very early on. And oh, I thought, yes. and I thought, you know, um, the biological illustration. So, so maybe, you know, there are budding artists out there and biology is a great, it, I mean, we always need medical illustration. Everything's not just taking a photo or what now, of course, we can uh, edit those images on a computer, but I feel like biology lends itself so well to a real artistic uh, expression. Oh, you might be frozen, Liz. Let's see if she comes back soon. <laughs> well, at least she so. didn't freeze with her tongue sticking out. Yeah, no, it's a great picture. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the drawings and the photographs uh, are important. Some, I hear complaints. I imagine complaints of people. It's like, it, it's an easy way. Oh, you're back. To do. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. We don't see you though, Liz. But we can hear you for the moment. Sorry, I lost you for a minute. Let me turn my camera back on. Hang on. Okay. But doing the illustration or taking the photograph also is good for the illustrator. Yeah. Because it it amplifies the way you look at things and causes you, helps you to see things differently or in more depth or 
So it, I think it increases the 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 looking experience. So Liz, I don't know what where we cut off at. If yeah, you had, lost a little, sorry. yeah, no, well, um, and I was just saying, you know, mo many biologists I know are great artists, or they're good at taking pictures, and that how that's all part of being a biologist, right? Yeah, it's all I mean, skills, right? And all my research needed some photos, so it, with the electron microscope, so. You know, you can't you can't just say, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. have to prove what you saw. So <laughs> I'm many hours in the dark room developing photos. That's how that's how long ago I was working in, oh, yeah. in grad Science. school, you know. That's so cool. Science is all about uh, looking at the evidence, right? And mm -hmm. you have to record your what you what you learn. So I think well, um, and I, I often say either draw it or photograph it, you know, because I have three right. kids and one of them hates drawing. Yes. But but love science and will happily take pictures of things. So um, I was going to well, tell you one thing about the illustrator, the, the process of doing the illustrations for these books that was that's so fun is that I, I sent her a folder of images of the scientists and then images of, you know, the equipment they used, mm -hmm. whatever they were studying, things related to their work. And then she takes that and makes these beautiful portraits and she often does research on her own um for for like some of the imagery that that you mentioned that's so beautifully woven into mm -hmm. the portraits. Mm -hmm. um so so i think that lots of kids are artists and some of their them aren't and that's so fun that's fine but some kids can record things with words it's just like we were talking about reading a science textbook some kids mm -hmm. will rec record things with photos some with drawings so um I think it's good to just celebrate, you know, kids embracing their um, their strengths. Yes. Right? Yes. I agree. Um, I sort of like this. I, I wouldn't have thought of this, but I, I could see this being fun, like m making a neuron out of <laughs> pipe cleaners. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes, it's interesting. I had seen this project before, but I had never seen it um, with, I, I wanted to put a bead on it so yeah. see how the electrical signal um travels yeah and then Very it's cool good. if kids make a bunch of these this is in the book you can have them you know i can't <laughs> hold this up but you can have the signal travel this one can pick up the chemical signal turns it to an electrical signal it travels so they can set up a whole network of neurons um <laughs> but once again it's it can be hard to think about how you know one end of a neuron is next to other neurons and they can pick up chemical signals and turn into electrical signals. It's hard to visualize that sometimes. Um, so making these little pipe cleaner neurons and then watching, setting them up next to each other and watching how the signal travels is really cool way for kids to understand how nerve cells work. I mean, I, I, I think it's a, a cool project, but, and they also make like a lovely little bouquet. Oh, how nice. Yes. <laughs> Well, and they, they wiggle in a fun way, and you can hit your brother with it. Oh, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> I'm sure that happens. So uh, <laughs> always curious, uh, you have uh, real kids doing experiments in the book. You just find them in the neighborhood or friends and family. Well, for my for my first group of books before the Kitchen Pantry Scientist series, um, it was it was neighbor kids. It was my friends, my, my yeah. kids' friends. It was um, some of the kids, my photographer, Amber Procaccini, um, some of the kids she knows from her photo shoots. Um, and sometimes we would have 50 kids in one book, which was a lot of fun. But then the pandemic hit right when I was working on chemistry for kids, my first mm -hmm. book in this series. So um, that book and biology for kids and physics for kids, which we just finished photographing, we did Yay. all of them. Yes. Out on our screen and porch, or maybe no chemistry for kids was pre-pandemic, but we did them with smaller group of kids, um, and it was all kids who are neighbor kids and friends. Um, okay, and some kids that Amber, my photographer, knows. But we did all of them on the screen and porch. Um, you know, the kids were masked, and then when we were taking pictures, they'd take off their masks. Luckily, by this year, when we were finishing up the physics photo shoot. Um, we were all vaccinated, so and we were outside on the screen and porch, so we could not be so careful. But um, it's yeah, it's it's all kids we know, and um, 
So what a challenge. A so to, what a challenge. And and you have diversity in the kids too. Oh yeah. Which is great. That's yeah. Very yeah. Important. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because we live in Minnesota, you know, there are so many blonde haired, blue eyed kids that we we're all I'm always you know, we I diversity is really, really important because I want kids to look at um look at the books and be able to see themselves in them. Um so I wish I could get even more diversity. I I, I just I have to just keep working hard to do that. So yeah. That's um, and I'm happy to hear. So physics for kids is the next one. Yep, we just okay. finished photographing it. It's all written. All right. Potato guns. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds dangerous, so maybe not. Yeah, non Non-Newtonian fluids, I would hope. Well, that's been in lots of my other books. I, yes. I tried to do some new ones. The other thing is, um, I really work hard to find, like I said, a diverse group of scientists. Yeah. And interesting scientists who do and i try to include you know some important historical scientists who a lot of people know about you know mm -hmm. sir isaac newton or Galilee. where things come from <clears throat> yeah yeah but um i also have to find scientists that i can do something related to their work yeah which, which can be tricky in itself um yeah so um yeah they're sorry no non-newtonian fluids in that one but there, <laughs> there's been several of my other books <laughs> right, okay. but things I suppose like catapult or gravity and yes, so pendulums, but yes. yeah, but also I'm um, I did some cool things with uh, slit experiments with light. Sure, I spent oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> I spent weeks on my kitchen table with sunbeams coming through trying to <laughs> figure out like the best easiest way to do those. Because you can't, a lot of those old experiments, you know, they would darken a whole room and put mirrors outside as, yeah. as um, <clears throat> to concentrate the light and have a pinhole coming through. And, you know, I I couldn't do that kind of setup. I, yeah. Okay, I have to figure out how to do this with two cereal boxes and an index card. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I do spend a lot of time on experiment development, which is kind of fun. It's nice. That's great. There That's are some great. fun projects. I, I think... I think that that book is a lot of fun, actually. So you'll see soon. I look, I look forward to that. Yes, and I'll try not to be harsh. <laughs> well, let me, Which I let doubt. me just tell you this: my dad is a physicist. All so right. He, he um, was my fact checker proofreader, so he well, and he's, it, he's it very helps good with language me. too. So it helps me a lot to understand, uh, to to approach this book and and your books, not as Real, real biology experiments for kids. Right. I think once I see it as, as we've been talking about it, as playtime, as laying some foundation, as having fun and getting familiar with some things, it's exceedingly valuable, even if it's not biology experiments exactly. Yeah. For well, kids. I do have some. I do have some experiments. So. This and is and right there, I'm thinking. This is Should we I'm keep kind of the suspense for Louis Pasteur longer? Or do I remember <laughs> correctly? This is Louis Pasteur here, his yes. lab, I think. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I wanted to reproduce his um, swan neck flask experiment because it's really an important experiment in biology. You know, mm -hmm. everyone was trying to prove, you know, life doesn't just spontaneously arise. So I figured out that, so I didn't have any apple juice this morning. I just used water and yellow food culture. Um, you need some kind of pasteurized liquid that has sugar in it, nutrients for bacteria. But basically you fill two jars, you clean them in the dishwasher to kind of sterilize them. You take them out, you fill them with um, pasteurized clear apple juice. And then you have the kids, um, it's hard to see, but I basically have the ring lid on the jar, but I have saran wrap over it. Right. I see. You poke a hole yes. with a toothpick and they put a straw in it and tape around where the straw is. And then they have one straight neck straw so that yep. microbes from the air can fall into the into the um, apple juice, right? Yes. And then they have one that's representing Pasteur's swan neck flask that's that's bent so that microbes can't unless <laughs> a very powerful gust of wind. Yes. Maybe. <laughs> microbes can't get into the jar. And it's pretty cool. After several days, you will have a pretty nice, usually like clump of fungus or, or bacteria, um, you know, a, a, probably a fungal mat growing in the jar. But um, 
So that so there are some for kids who want science experiments. You know, they yeah. put microbes on petri dishes. Um, I'm trying to think. I haven't I haven't done this. Oh, it's I. It was really fun to I write about um, Mendel in the book and um, yes, we grew pea plants and I had never I'd always read about this, but I had never taken apart a pea blossom before and explored how how he did his cross pollination experiment. So I talk about how to do that and yes. We, we didn't actually cross pollinate any peas, but I, I have kids take it apart. I have them paint the pollen from one plant to another, from one flower to another. Um, so that's that's pretty cool because you always read about these pea experiments, but I think it's not always. Yeah, I've pea. never done it. Yeah, yeah, not even in any of my introductory biology labs. Yeah. I'm remembering the growing uh, growing penicillin with uh, with a a plastic bag and and uh, breadcrumbs. Yeah. And I have that in But that's a real experiment. Yes, you do. Yep. Yes. The experiment lies not in the uh, complexity of the of the equipment. It's no, the ideas that you're honestly, exposing. I, in my first book, I have, you know, DNA extraction. Um, oh, there. Yeah, there. Oh, yeah. It's really fun to grow microbes um, on little Petri plates <laughs> and see what grows. Kids love that. In my first book, um, I had DNA extraction, but I didn't put that in this book because that's a cool experiment. Um, but one thing that... I've learned by doing this and doing it with kids is that they extract the DNA and they're like, now what? Yeah. <laughs> and I've yeah. tried, I've tried to figure out ways to like, um, illustrate electrophoresis, like with strong magnets and, you know, the iron filings you can get out of total cereal. I've tried a lot of things, but I haven't found a lot of good ways for kids to explore molecular biology because so much of it involves, um, electricity and dangerous yeah. chemicals um and, you know it can't, you can't say oh go get some ethidium bromide and we'll yeah yeah and, we can't do that <laughs> um, but at least I, you can you can do chromatography oh yeah chromatography absolutely and that's in it's, a lot of my books um one science oh patricia bath so she was um a physician um who invented cataracts oh, not you so one, <laughs> this is another more like illustrative project um but kids can take toilet paper rolls and rubber bands and wax paper, put wax mm -hmm. paper over the top, look through, and it's very hard to see. You know, things are blurry. Just so they can, this is about understanding the importance of, you know, scientific discovery. So um, then kids can take off the wax paper and take some saran wrap, cut out little squares. So this is representing how in cataract surgery, they, they cut out the cloudy lenses using lasers and then replace them with plastic lenses, basically. So that's, so kids can take, um, take the wax paper off, put plastic wrap on, and now they can see. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, it's a very simple experiment, but I think it gives kids for one thing, empathy for people with vision problems. I mean, they can see how hard it is for people with cataracts to see the world. And then they can see that Patricia Bath, by inventing this technique, restored the visions of millions and millions of people around the world. And um, mm -hmm. I, I think things like that are really important for it. it when you're a kid, it's, it's hard to see sometimes outside of your own Mm -hmm. your own sphere. And I, I think that it's really cool to for them to learn about people who made discoveries that helped so many people. But you you also have, you don't just have to imagine this, do you? You have reactions from the kids who who you're photographing doing this. What what do they, how do they react? What do they do? What do they let you know? Oh, they, you know, they like most of the experiments. Sometimes it's boring, you know, if they're like just sitting here taping a straw <laughs> to... To a jar, so but um but you give them some non-Newtonian fluid, <laughs> they they go crazy. They a lot of kids like making stuff. They had fun making these pipe cleaner yeah. drawings. Yeah. Uh, okay, one experiment that never you know this is a classic science experiment that never goes wrong. But I talk about um Ernest Everett Just, a, a famous cell biologist, um in the book, and. I talk, he, he studied cells, so I can't say, you know, go to your nearest tide pool and <laughs> find some marine creatures and see, study the eggs they lay. Right. But I can say that he studied um, biological processes in, you know, in eggs, in cells. Yeah. Um, and so kids can, in my book, I have kids can dissolve 
eggshells um, using vinegar. It dissolves the calcium carbonate crystals. These I just started last night, so I can't quite get all the shell off. But they can take these. They're super fun to play with, right? Oh, yeah. Fishy <laughs> eggs that just have the cell membrane. They can rinse them with water. They can put them in corn syrup overnight to do an osmosis experiment. Sorry, there's yeah. crap going by. That's right. Uh, <laughs> so, so they can see how how water moves in and out of cells. Then they can take it after it shrivels up in the corn syrup. They can take it and put it in water again. And I talk about the science behind it. You know, the concentrated yeah. sugar. Um, the water moves to the concentrated solution. Then they can put it back in water and see how the water moves back into into the egg, into the model of the cell. So I, I was amazed by that because locked away in the physics lab, I didn't know you could dissolve the shell and not have the egg just sort of <laughs> float away or something. I mean, that's just, <laughs> I was amazed. This The vinegar, the egg and vinegar experiment, I remember from like, it's one of my earliest memories in preschool, they did this mm -hmm. and I was just fascinated. Yeah. Um, so I, I do try to <clears throat> include projects like this. Um, another fun one, have you guys ever done the thing where you, um, and this is in the book, I talk about Darwin, he was interested in the Galapagos, obviously, and how birds could have gotten over there. So he tested whether eggs could float in seawater. Yes. Ah. yes. So it's fun, you can, take, you can take a raw egg, put it in um, a glass of water and add salt to it until the salinity is high enough that the egg will float. Um, nice. So that's, a cool project related to Charles Darwin, but also I discovered when I was writing my book Radiant that Marie Curie homeschooled her, homeschooled some kids for a while, and that was one of the projects she did with them. <laughs> and I just thought, oh, that's so cool! I just put that in my my other book. There's yeah. lineage <clears throat> provenance to that experiment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, actually, speaking of the vinegar, I don't, I don't think you had this. One of my favorite is the chicken bone one, where you get it in vinegar and then it's like this and or you could bake the heck out of a chicken bone and it crumbles because the heat destroys the collagen, but the vinegar destroys the uh, calcium carbonate. Calcium yeah. Oh, so that's a good one. It's excellent. Future books. I haven't done that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that one. I don't know why, but, you know, of course, then when I'm teaching histology and I say, if you ever did that experiment, that's because this is gone, but this is still there, you know, so. Oh, that's a good one. I get lots of ideas from my scientist friends. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that that does underscore the idea that these simple activities can be very memorable things, because here you are, here we all are remembering these simple activities we've done. Uh, that, that illustrate that stuff. Absolutely. So I, I, I wonder, so, okay, so you said you got the physics book coming up. Is, do you just have idea after idea, like biology for kids too, or, you know? I just signed a contract for another book in this series. So I, and another, I, so I do have two more books that I have ideas for. So I'll be working on those over the next year. Um, but I'm taking, I'm taking July off. I need a, need a break from writing. <laughs> I, um, it's, it's a ton of fun, but it's, I, it's after I get a, after I d I'm done with writing one of these books, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm done with doing, uh, thinking about chemistry for a while. Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, but it's fun. It all, all the books obviously play into each other. And one thing that's fun about the books, because I do them in chronological order is I can often refer back and I do this a lot in the physics book, like refer back to classic experiments. So not only does that like sort of redefine things for kids, but then if they are interested in that thing, they can go back and say, oh, this is this is the pro a project related to what spurred ever this mm -hmm. thing I'm interested in. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, whether I'm talking about how in the physics book, how scientists study um, the signatures from the stars um, to see what's happening in the universe, I can refer back to other you know, the, mm -hmm. the woman who discovered what the sun is made of mm -hmm. um, in an earlier project. So it's cool in all these books to be able to, for kids also to see what scientists were inspired by other scientists that came before them. Yeah, it's it's really, I mean, I did notice that this was in, in, um, in a chronological order, yeah. you know, because, uh, yeah, so then for a little while there, you just have white male scientists. <laughs> and I think that's an important pattern for kids to yeah. know. I mean... Yeah. There yeah. are occasionally a few, like maybe one or two women at the beginning of the books, but not many. And then by the end, I try to have it be 
mostly yeah. women. <laughs> yes, mm -hmm. yes. You know, and it's like what it's sort of hard to avoid. Yeah. You know, but for the for you to rectify that and to show the pattern, I think that's that's really important. So, and actually, I don't want to dismiss. You know, obviously, male scientists. I, no, I actually try no. to do. Mm -hmm. There are usually like maybe one or two more women than men, just because I think there are more women that need to be recognized. But I absolutely have nothing. Yeah. male scientists. I I try to keep it pretty equal because I want to inspire boys too, not just girls. Right. Right, and we have a white male sitting here, so we can't. Yeah. Yes, and I don't think any of it seemed that way, and that's that's right. I think part of my earlier observation about the value of the illustrations for <clears throat> for showing that progression of diversity without having to spend pages and paragraphs talking about it. Yeah, uh, it seems much more natural, and none of it seemed negative or exclusionary. It seemed yeah, it's it seemed great. much more inclusionary, and that's. That's good, and I think I think people, the you know the current climate, people are starting to learn to, to accept or to appreciate that it takes a little more effort, but yes, these stories are there to find and they're worth hearing about because it doesn't detract from anyone. It just adds to the body of, of all the things that we understand. Absolutely. I mean, most of the scientific, most of the names in science that people recognize, maybe with the exception of Marie Curie, are white men. So I yeah. Think I don't, you know, unless often their work is, if their work is, you know, really important in building the foundation of the story of physics, then I talk about their work. Yes. But I really, I really think it's more important for kids to see role models who look like them. So, yeah. And every, I don't know about other, there are two things I'm thinking about disciplines. One is as I was, I think as I was becoming a physicist educationally and things was, I think maybe I was surprised by how, how ever present the history of physics is in just doing everyday work. It's like, we feel all these people behind us. We know everything they've done. There are these connections. Uh, most of our units are named for people who did <laughs> experiments before us and things like that. And I think that happens. And also physics has been going through this sort of reckoning of, you know, every time uh, somebody like, uh, I mean, something like atomic bomb research comes up, we say, well, uh, in the discovery of fission, for instance, look at this overlooked woman who actually provided all of the data for this person who then published the paper and became Lisa famous. Meitner is in my book. Yes. <laughs> Yay. That's I right. Love her, so, actually. <laughs> well, those things are getting uncovered. We have we have more understanding when we see that. Uh, it's a process, I guess. Um, it's exciting that we're doing it now, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, it is kind of a re-education, right? Yeah. For For so much has been left out. Of yeah. Science. And an enhancement. I, I can understand people who at first feel like this is somehow uh, denigrating the contribution of the of the old white men. And it, it does nothing about that. It just enhances the context and finds more people with interesting stories. And it broadens uh, what it is that makes science go. And the fact that everybody, anybody could become a scientist or something else. But yeah. Uh, and it's yeah. all about giving people opportunity. I mean, that's, and that's, I think, what I try to highlight in the book more than anything, yeah. that for a long time, the only people could do that could do science were the super wealthy people. Yes. Yeah. And that's, just, <clears throat> that's why science is the way it is. And now, hopefully, we're moving into a new era where everyone has the opportunity to do science. So, Right, and bring their new perspective, and that leads to new discoveries. So. Yep. And not be discriminated <clears throat> against for who they mm -hmm. are, so... Yeah, you know, uh, so Jeff, I don't know if you had time to read Liz's uh, a nonfiction historical book, Radiant. I haven't, I haven't yet, but it's in my my reading list. So this is this is a bit of a diversion from the kids' science. So you want to tell everybody about this book? I read it. I liked it. I, you know, it, it was so cool to see this friendship between a scientist and a dancer, and. Uh, Wow, life was tough back then. That's one thing I got out of this book. I went, oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so this, this is, it's it's a book for adults about the friendship of the famous scientist, Marie Curie, who was the first person to measure radioactivity. She discovered um, two radioactive elements. Um, and then, um, you know, Curie is named after Marie and her husband, Pierre. Um, he was also a brilliant scientist. They were a real team. But Marie became friends with, this American dancer in Paris, who was the most famous dancer in Paris. 
a woman named Loie Fuller who had basically invented modern stage lighting um, and also gotten away from having dancing be, she turned dancing to art rather than just like women flaunting their bodies for mm -hmm. men. She, she turned science to art. So she was very interested in any new science and technology. She wasn't very, she was kind of like a Thomas Edison. She didn't have a great, a lot of education, but she was very bright and picked up everything. So she wrote a letter to Marie Curie asking for some, she heard about this element called radium that Marie had discovered. She said, can we, can I have some radium for, to light my dancing costume? And Marie said, no, no, <laughs> I'm like working my butt off to extract like this much radium so I can, you know, purify it. Um, and, and characterize it, but they became friends, um, and were friends for the rest of their lives. Basically, they didn't, they didn't meet up, you know, every week they weren't best mm -hmm. friends, but, um, Marie visited, she was friends with Marie and Pierre. She visited their lab numerous times. Um, Marie came to, they, they meet up, um, Marie or Loie introduced Marie and Pierre to the sculptor um, Auguste Rodin. Loie was very good friends with him. Um, they met up at his studio. Marie did after Pierre died. Um, but it's really about women struggling to make their work known in a world that was completely controlled by men. Um, and how women, a lot of women supported each other. Um, but it's all set. I love art and literature. It's all set in this very rich historical concept mm -hmm. um or sorry context yeah so, but a lot of science um, a lot of science loves marie curie and owns her because she's still the unique person who's won a nobel prize in two science disciplines yes right, right. yeah i i love well thanks for summarizing the book yeah. i really liked it like i said boy things were hard back then and it yeah. was <laughs> a lot of the struggles of women i get you yeah. know like you said trying to get their work known yeah uh, so anyway, so I hope people, if you're looking for a good historical uh, look at uh, this friendship, this is, well, the only place you can get it. <laughs> yeah, it's creative nonfiction. So Creative nonfiction. Yeah, so you had to take some liberties, right? All of it, everything in the book actually happened. The only liberties I took were I invented some of the dialogue because mm -hmm. I'm a fiction reader primarily, and I wanted it to read like a novel. Mm -hmm. In part, also to get hopefully some you know younger readers to read it. I, I wanted it. I love I love um, historical nonfiction that reads like fiction. So mm -hmm. um, right. But everything every everything that happened in the book, was, it's it's all based on fact. I spent a year researching it, and um, every scene I, I wrote it like a play. Almost every scene was um, was an event that happened, um, all the people they knew, every name I mentioned, it's, it's all a fact. So. Yeah. You know, um, so I knew Loie Fuller's name and oh. I, I remember that famous image of her yeah. with the, I mean, it's on just a poster on the yes. poster. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, but that was it. So it was nice to learn more about her. And, um, and I imagine you have some dancers who've picked up this book. Yeah, actually, yeah. a lot of dancers have liked it. Oh, yeah, so, uh, yeah, so the, the New York City Ballet posted about it on their Instagram. And nice. Also, I also got put, uh, one of the big theater um, websites wrote it as one of the best theater books of the year because it really is, it's about science, and it has a lot of physics in it, but it's really also heavily about about innovations in theater and theater lighting and mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. Lori was an actress before she was a dancer, and she's from just outside of Illinois. There's actually like the house where she lived is just up, or sorry, outside of Chicago. Um, well, I I remember you said really that. That's right. I went, oh, that's not far. <laughs> Oops, a little freezing. Just a little. There you are. Oh, you're yeah. back. We're all back. <laughs> so. Yeah, so this this is cool. So you're going to enjoy your July off. No experiments. No. <laughs> no publisher chats. No. Uh, you know, I, I I do like TV science stuff every other week, so I, I'll still be doing that. But no. Okay. Oh no, I'll be doing this stuff, but no no writing. Um, okay. Yeah. My kitchen table will be not have science experiments all over it for once. <laughs> Um, when, when we I should just build an addition for science. <laughs> I need it. Kitchen pantry scientist is not a made-up name. Like, I, <laughs> kitchen is yeah. always a mess. Oh, 
you know what? You had an app. Is that still operational or is it not? The app has not been up operational for several years. It still okay. exists, but it, it was too expensive. You had to keep um, rebuilding it every time they changed their platform. You know, I, that, mm -hmm. it was in the Apple App Store. You had to keep working on it and rebuilding it. And the woman and I that made it, we had, we had no funding. I just... Yeah. We made it ourselves. Like she volunteered her time and I made videos and we put it together. So maybe someday it'll come back. I, I still think it was a great idea, but we just yeah. had no, you know, no financial support for it. So, yeah. I mean, I remember, uh, you know, you said, yeah. oh, try my app. And I did. And it's so cool because, you know, I could think when my kids were little, her app was really cool because, well, it still is cool, but not working so yeah. well. But, um, because you could just sort of design, you could, so interactive. So you go, I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yeah. And you click that, what experiments can you do for a two-year-old and four-year-old? Or you go, what have I got in my pantry, right? So you don't, because sometimes you want to do these science things, but then you have to go to the store and get this exactly. and get that and get this. So even though most of the things are stuff you have around home, you might not have. <clears throat> an item here or there. So it was sort of cool because you could just sort of click and then the suggestions for experiments would come up. Yeah. Which was just science app. It was a it was a fun idea. Yeah. So I, I thought that was cool, but also not necessary. So yeah. We have have you, a, uh... I mean I feel like kids are so YouTube is great. I mean you can't do the stuff like search by age or search by what's in my pantry, but kids I think are so good at going on YouTube and finding stuff to do that maybe they don't need the app. I don't know. <laughs> We have a friend of mine who uh, who made a comment that seemed relevant, and also I've never seen this where we can show these things. And yeah, look at that. The video stream. I can't. Yes. Read it. It's too small. Sorry. But he says uh, he was once at a national science center meeting, and one of the keynote speakers was making the argument that there is quite a bit of similarity between three-year-olds and scientists, especially curiosity, and maintaining a sense of play. Since we were talking about that, that. Uh, scientists love their toys. Yes, uh, I think know. that's true. I think it's true too. So, oh, I think wow. scientists. I think what's great about scientists is I think that scientists are people who never really lose their wonder. Mm -hmm. Sorry, <laughs> their wonder I, and curiosity. I think that's really. Yeah, I think that's really those are great characteristics to have. Yes, and that it's. It, the play is not some sort of detrimental thing. Playing is the thing that propels the science. I Once I went to a, um, it was a workshop. It was called like a sandbox summit. But mm -hmm. the, someone proposed the idea, and I think it's really true, that we, we work so that we can play. And scientists are kind of lucky because, you know, they work really hard. But often when you find something really neat, your work is play. So it's That's very right. rewarding. <laughs> That's right. Well, you so, can hear you can hear that too if you listen to the way that they talk about things that they do when they start getting to the enthusiastic bits, uh, they'll start to use vocabulary that's more like playing the. It's the same vocabulary they work very hard to take out of the papers they send to physical review letters. Yeah, I say, that, and I say that often in my you know creative enrichment or whatever. I say you know play with it more to see what happens because it really is experimentation really is sort of play you're yeah you know, what can i do now what can i do now what would yeah. be fun to try right that's yeah. right that's right you know actually i know we're at an hour but i want to ask one more question is there an area of science where you go hmm that's not going to happen like <laughs> psychology for kids or sociology for kids or astronomy for kids well astronomy for kids macroeconomics for kids <laughs> Yeah. No, thanks. <laughs> uh, no, I honestly feel like the, the possibilities are limitless because like we talked about kids, some kids have so many different interests that what one kid finds boring, another kid will find fascinating. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I have done, you know, one food science book, maybe someday I'll do another one. I think that, mm -hmm. I think what's really cool too is teaching kids to see the science in the world around them. So, um, no, I don't think there are any limits to what kids can learn um, or, or enjoy if you teach it in the right way. Right, right. You may not always be the one to write the book about it, but 
That's true, yeah. actually. Yes. Yeah, so um, someone, so in my kitchen pantry series, um, I, I think I can talk about this. I think someone's um, going to write a um, math for kids. And okay. I'm not a mathematician, so, but, but I think it's really important because math is the language of science. So I think right. that's a really great thing. If you can get kids interested in math, it will certainly mm -hmm. help them, you know, make, take measurements and any, anything they ever want to do with science, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, I think, I think of things, oh, geology for kids. And, oh, yeah. yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. So I yeah. suspect, I mean, I don't know what will happen with this series, but hopefully people will embrace it and then we can just. Um, yeah, keep doing, keep doing more. So we'll see. And I, there are a lot of books that I'm interested in that I feel like I could write, but then there are certainly some that I'm not an expert if they get more mm -hmm. specialized. So especially someone who's knows, you know, the history of that science could, could write mm -hmm. it and come up with cool projects. So we'll see. Yeah, you know, better. it's just that it's all up to the, to the publishers. So we'll see. Exactly. In the end. Right. Yeah. Right. So Actually, I just want to say, by the way, I love that, that this is you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> There's a funny story about that. The first is there? The first I think it's drew, so great. <laughs> the first one that they drew was wearing a, I think, like a skirt and, oh. I, and like little, like, and little like pumps. And I said, no, it needs to be <laughs> jeans and sneakers. And my exactly. Messy. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't me. <laughs> I'm also not really quite that blonde, but maybe I was when they did the picture. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's awesome. I, and that's a good story because I would be like, oh, I can't remember the last time I wore a dress to do science ever. Yeah. The whole thing, the whole thing about teaching science is, I think, too, that you want to be relatable. So yeah, you don't want kids to think that there's some, you know. I, I, I don't know. It just, it wasn't me and it, it didn't seem to represent the way I do science and everyone does science in their own way. So that's right. That's awesome. And yeah, that's right. we all, yeah. we're all, we all have embrace our differences and have fun doing science. Right. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Well, is there anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? No, but thank you for having me on. I, um, it's, I enjoy, you know, so much love and thought goes into these books and I really appreciate talking to two scientists. I love talking to, you know, people in the news media, but it's always three minute sound bites. Like how many, yeah. how many, how many bubbles can you make? And, and it's, oh, I forgot and it's to ask great. that. And, and I am reaching people and I do all they, they're great because they really do promote my, my books and let me, and let me always talk about the science behind whatever I'm doing, but right. it's, it's fun to get it. I never have a chance to dig in deeper. Um, so yeah. I really appreciate having this conversation. Well, thank you for this this books i like the first one and then the series now i think is is making an excellent model for people who want to uh, look at how to reach kids uh, and spark an interest in science is very valuable yeah and and pass on to your artist how much i mm. love her work i yes, love please. it kelly yeah. i will she's she is brilliant yeah, she'll be, and she'll, she's illustrating, she did the chemistry book, she did this book, she's doing the physics book as well. So I, when, when they asked me to write the physics book, I said, can Kellyanne do the yeah. Please. <laughs> yeah, she's brilliant. So It's a very important like, contribution. And, yeah. yeah, and my publisher, the art team, does such a good job. I, I'm very fortunate to, to work with, with all the, and my photographer, Amber Procaccini, I'm very fortunate to work with all these people. It's great. It's so wonderful. Well, Liz, thank you so much for coming back. Yep. And we'd love to have you back again. Because, yeah, the physics book, physics. right, Jeff? Physics. Well, we'll talk physics. Just don't, <laughs> ask, don't ask me any questions that are too hard. Never. No, of course not. <laughs> okay, Liz, thank you. And thank you, everybody, for joining us and for checking out Liz's books anytime you have a chance. All right. Take care. Thank you. Bye.